What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got to have a hobby. I mean, come on. <laughs> you just don't combine certain yeah, hobbies. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> All right, let's get it started. All right. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast. We've got Lee McClellan, co-host. Hope everything's doing, had a great Thanksgiving. Everyone has had yeah, a Yeah, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> today's guest is Tim Farmer. What's up, guys? What's up, Back guys? here in the office. How about that? Yeah, is, it, is it reminiscent for you? It's, it's reminiscent, the, man. Did the hallway seem smaller? That's something that happened. Well, I, no, it seems it seems a lot shorter after standing next to oh, you. Okay, okay. I'm like, man, what, 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 what? This guy's what? Six, seven. Six, six seven. What'd your mama feed you when you were growing up? <laughs> Nothing good. That's, that's something we're going to talk about later, food. too, is good food. Exactly. Yeah, Eggs in a blanket and you know, yeah, tiny sausage. I'd probably be a lot bigger in other ways if I could eat like you do. <laughs> you know, I can't pull that off. For people who might not know, Tim was the host here at Kentucky Field from 95 to 2016. Psst. That's a long time. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. And I'm only 32. <laughs> <laughs> How could that happen? <laughs> I'm 26. <laughs> Chase must be 11. <laughs> wow. Child labor laws. <laughs> I got a feeling that those two might be backwards, though. Yeah, just There's a, something a little, just something little wrong about him. I'm not sure what. So a host from 95 to 2016. I think that's the longest running host. No, I think that... Um, Hope Carlton, Hope oh, Senior, okay, yeah. Hope Senior. He was here for twenty some years. He was here okay. quite a long time. Here for twenty or twenty one. That's still a long time. That's a long time. Now, I was in fisheries before that. Yeah, so I, I spent I've a seen whole the lot of years yeah. fishing wildlife. Um, how long was Jeremy here? What was his name? You know, Jeremy. I have to say, is my favorite host of all times. I thought he's much better than me. <laughs> <laughs> the but problem actually, is, he's not on YouTube. I can't watch him. Well, Jeremy was here and he was he was a he thought outside the box. He was the one who said, Hey, we need to go to K E T. We got a statewide audience here. Mm -hmm. He was an innovator. He mm -hmm. was a biologist. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I watched his stories back in the way back in the day, you know, when he'd have a fishing report, I don't care what they said and, and some of them may have been a game warden just, you know, say, Well, I heard they're catching on jigs or a green jig. I would go to the store and buy a green jig, such mm -hmm. and such exactly what he said and go to Morehead and do what they were doing on the fishing report. Mm -hmm. But that's how that's how a lot of people looked at Kentucky Field back in the day, and still do. Yeah. So before that time, what did it go out on? A wave, I wave three. It was on wave for years. Yeah, that's what I remember. Being and on. Uh, it was in the studio mm -hmm. for the most part in the beginning because you know they had these old cameras. You know, I don't even know if they had audio. This was 1953. Mm -hmm. I think it was all narrated. Yes, it was. They would do the story, then talk. Now there was there was a host before that. And what was his name? Rob. Did he write for the magazine too? Rick, yes. Rick Rhodes? No, no Rhodey? Rob Rhodes. Ron Rhodey. Ron Rhodey. Thank you very much. Because I, yeah, I remember reading his stuff in the, in the he magazine. He was the very original host. He was there before Hope. And he's at, he's, I think he's still in, we had him on several years ago. He's getting way up there. Yeah. But he was out in California. I don't know if he was an investment banker or something like that, but the guy did real well for himself. His wife actually babysit my mom when she was a kid. Really? really? Yeah, I've got pictures of them together. Um, Ron Rhodey's wife? That's what I was told. Well, the pictures. I remember seeing stuff in the magazine about the walleye runs. He would always put out these reports. Ron Rhodey, oh, the walleye running yeah. in, you know. It's a fascinating history. You think about television. That, that was in the early, early, early days of yeah. television. What's the longest running outdoor show? Yes, it is. Oh, yeah, and third longest running outdoor show of any kind. Of period. Any kind. Yeah, yeah, and I think the cancel one of them was a guiding light or one of those. It was fourth. I think it's third now. Yeah. Behind the Tonight Show and what's the other one? 
Um, there was there was guiding light, mm -hmm. and then there was a was it like not face the nation? Oh, one one of those big mm -hmm. national shows, yeah. and the Tonight Show was the other one. Mm -hmm. But so host of the longest running outdoor TV show in the world, third third longest running TV show of any kind from '95 to '16, and now you have your own show, Tim Farmer's Country Kitchen, which is also on KT. And you you come on right before seven o'clock. You come mm -hmm. on at seven o'clock. Chase, you're not watching our show. I watch. <laughs> well, I watch. On, uh, I watch before the live calling shows. I don't listen. This might be a bad thing for me to admit as the producer of a TV show. I don't have TV. Okay. Oh my I, gosh. I just it's. No, no. Slap his hands. Well, well that's where that's. You where, know, for years I didn't have TV. I can't. You know, for years. When I was in college, I was so broke, mm -hmm. and TV <laughs> I don't was so expensive. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, I, I made a conscious decision when I was in college. I'm not gonna have. I'm not paying for it. I'm just same reason when I it. first got out, I was so broke I couldn't. I mean, I had rabbit ears that would come in every once in a while, but I didn't have cable. I couldn't afford it. No, remember having the black and white TV with oh, the rabbit ears? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thirteen inch black. Remember, and white remember TV? when uh, I say this in my classes sometimes that that TV used to go off like at eleven thirty, and then Johnny the Carson was in, and then then the the, the 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 flag would come up, and they would <laughs> play the national anthem, and then. <laughs> then it was yeah. Then it was yep. static. Yeah. Till six o'clock. Till six o'clock next morning. Yeah. Well, that's that's right. funny. We're proving how old we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so many things have changed now. With I mean, you go away from TV, and you know, you got Roku and Amazon, and the YouTube's huge. Things are going out on Facebook, full shows. So there's so many other outlets I can get it for for free. You know, it's just not worth the investment to me. That's true. You look at direct TV or some cable costs. I'm not saying don't have TV because obviously that's important to us. I can tell you how much uh, direct TV is $186 a month if yeah. you get all the packages. Not yeah. saying I pay that, but close to that. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Just I, premium cable is. Or you know. if you're out in the country, you don't have any choice. You yeah. got to get some kind of satellite. Well, there are literally only probably seven or eight channels that I watch ESPN, um, you know, just your basic channels, KT, of course. Yeah, and, then, uh, <laughs> and they just basically sports packages and, and our show. Well, when I had I just TV, so. KT was my favorite channel because it came in the best and I liked it. Well, look at all, look at the varied program from the British comedies to, to cooking shows to American everything. Experience is my favorite show. Yeah. I mean, they're all Nova. great. Yeah, and a lot of the Novas are great, but all the American experiences are great. The American Master Series, where they profile a great mm -hmm. musician or sure. artist, or they're all. Just top notch. And here's 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 the scary part. Me being only thirty two or so thirty six, <laughs> something like that. Is we were I was over there videoing with him the other day for a for a special that's coming up for, for our show, and we were talking with him, and and they said fifty years. I'm like, wait a minute, I've been here for twenty five of those fifty years. Is that astounding? Mm -hmm. Being thirty two and everything. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's something. You got you got a <laughs> got an early start, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, you know, I, I was doing some research before this. Just, you know, my research is not that in depth. I look at Facebook and things like that. Right. And I was on, I looked at your Facebook and I saw that buck you killed, which I saw, which was a nice mm -hmm. buck, by the way. Big, big body deer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that means lots of meat to me. Yeah. That's what your post was. Basically, I saw it on the on the Country Kitchen Facebook page. And, uh, you know, killed this big body buck, going to be plenty of venison for the, the caption was something like that. But one of the comments was, congratulations, young man. That's what one of the comments was to you. So there you go. 36, You know, here's a funny story about that. So, shot that deer. Uh -huh. He's one of those deer. He's a big, mature nine-pointer. Oh, he's a nice nine-pointer, yeah. four, four plus years. So, I see him. He's one of those deer that walk out and say, yep, you know, there's no doubt about mm -hmm. it. I put the crosshairs mm -hmm. on his neck because that's where I sh I'm a Marine. I don't I don't look for deer when I'm gun hunting. Mm -hmm. Dropped. Mm -hmm. Didn't even twitch. Mm -hmm. There he was. 
So I'm looking at him and thinking, man, this, you know, we don't get a whole lot of big deer on my farm. Uh -huh. So the next day, you know, I took him in, got him taken care of and everything. The next day, I'm up in the woods contemplating a doe. I'm looking through the scope, my 25-06, and I see a doe. I was going to say, you still shoot 25-06? <clears throat> oh, yeah. And guess what I see? A 12-pointer, <laughs> 22 inches wide minimum. Each tine has to be a foot long. I've never seen a deer this big on my farm. Hey, punch that tag. So I, yeah, I already got my deer. So I ran back around the house. I said, Mickey, yeah, get over come here. home. And he was running around in the woods <laughs> everywhere chasing those. I said, please. I said, can you get home before dark? I said, he's still here. I'm, you know, I'm watching him on my cell phone. She said, I'm going to try. And she didn't make it home. Before, and I haven't um, seen him since. Before somebody else. I don't know. Well, just before we leave here, you get my number, okay? <laughs> That's what I say. This guy, no, you're this a phone call with Chase in This guy is stout. This yeah. guy is stout. Just a whiskey in it for you if you let me come on on your place. <laughs> stout. Yeah, that sounds a lot like the deer I was after this year that my neighbor killed. But, yeah, I mean, I was happy for the neighbor. But, yeah. uh, I mean, he was a 12-pointer, 174, oh, wow. 175, somewhere around there. Big deer. But we've, we've talked about that on other podcasts already. All right. So, Tim, back to some of this stuff here. I think you're probably most recognizable, most well-known for being an outdoorsman and only having the use of one arm. Like, that's got to be something that's a bigger talking point, right? How do you shoot your bow? How do you how do you deer hunt? How do you do the things you do? All right? You know, that is an issue that I had to uh, figure out at a very young age. Here I was, young Marine, mm -hmm. motorcycle accident, boom. Mm -hmm. You know, back in the day, now, if it had been 10 years later, Mm -hmm. They just said, okay, we'll figure this prosthesis out. You'll keep your job. But back then, there wasn't anything going on, no conflict, mm -hmm. you know, nothing like mm -hmm. that. So they said, oh, you can't do this exercise. So they said, congratulations, you're honorably medically discharged. So I'm like, oh, well, wait a minute. I don't want to go. And they said, well, that's what we do. So there I was, all of a sudden, you know, had the use of my arm gone, sent back home. What do I do now? Mm -hmm. So very shortly, I figured out that I'm not going to sit down and not do anything. So I picked my bow up, mm -hmm. looked at it, tried to figure it out. Slowly, I figured out I'm not going to sit down. I'm going to figure these things out. So I, I'm, I went fly fishing. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. How's this going to work? Because you're stripping line typically when you fly fishing. So I stripped it with my teeth, but getting okay. it back in with that little bitty reel, I'm like, no. One thing I've, I've wondered, I don't mean to, because I've been on a, quite a few shoots with you, and you've always brought, especially if you're stream small now. Did you ever get sick from the water? You know what? I, I take extra precaution. I, I always kind of like spit and yeah. try to try to keep, you know, and, I, and if you keep most of that line out is dry that I'm working with. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, because I kind of keep that line out there. So I'm working with the backing. So, so, you're keeping, so you're stripping line. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. And I never did get sick as far as I know, but I probably got some kind of parasitic intestinal worm that's you built know. up your immune system. <laughs> right? yeah. But as far as I know. By the time we went on Jake's Creek, I was like, wondering a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Turtle Man, I mean, if, if, yeah. he's, if he's not sick, I mean, <laughs> then you're fine. <laughs> so, you, so you had your motorcycle accident, honorably discharged from the Marine Corps, came back and you were trying to figure it out, and fly fishing was the first thing that you went to. My dad put a fly rod in my hand when I was five mm -hmm. and braved that fly going by his head and taught me how to do this. Mm -hmm. I, I can't not do that. That's the only way I, I like to fish at the time. Um, the gun was fairly easy. Yeah. You know, if it was a light gun, I could mm -hmm. just rest it off my right shoulder. You know, 22, I could shoot squirrels in no time. Yeah. Um, heavier gun, tripod, yeah. or rest something, something to rest it on. And it wasn't until I came to work for the department in the 
in, I guess it was in the late 80s. Walked in, sat down at this desk. Everybody's coming in smoking cigarettes, you know, sitting at the desk. It was, it was a different day, man. And everybody hunted and fished. <clears throat> and, you know, I wanted to figure out how to shoot a bow so bad. I'd, I'd used them my whole life. And so I'm, I'm just dying. Everybody's showing me their new bows and everything. And the archery was just kind of coming back up again. People were starting to do the IBO shoots and all that. And I was just agonizing over it. And one day, Billy Mitchell came in the office, Billy Bob, as we called him. I said, Farmer, I got this magazine here. This guy's out west shooting a bow with his teeth. I said, what? Mm-hmm. And I thought, that can't, that can't be possible because you break your front teeth out. So next thing you know, I take a piece of leather, Billy and I did, put on that string, put two knocks on the inside. I take it home, and I'm shooting a group like this oh, at yeah. 20 yards thinking, hey, I've seen you. You just this is doable. Them. And that's without any kind of, that's just a pin for a sight. You know, later on, I got better sights and so on and so forth. Right. But I figured out real quick I could do that. And I think I was so happy that I could do it that I really practiced and got really good. Mm-hmm. I would discipline myself to 100 shots a day. Uh-huh. And uh, next thing you know, a buddy of mine says, hey, you're shooting better than me. Let's go to the IBO shoot. I said, what's, what's an IBO shoot? He said, you shoot life-size targets. I'm like, yeah. I start winning tournaments. <laughs> go do some mm-hmm. 3D shoots. Oh, yeah, yes. You still have a tournament, correct? I do. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of, there's not as many people shooting today in tournaments yeah. as there is. You know, I, hmm. I think that's probably true. It's probably a bell curve, and we're kind of on the tapering down. Yeah, end of I'd that. like to see that come back up, but I yeah. think it is kind My of. My wife shot in those <clears throat> for a winter. First husband, she shot in those. No good. She, she was she uh, won Bluegrass Sportsman's League. I think wow. she won state one time. She was she shot with my brother one years ago. And Robbie's like, well, do you know how to do this? She's like, boom, boom, boom. He went, oh, I'll shut up. <laughs> I'll say she, it. she put a, threw a nice group up. I tell people like, every year there's no better way to get ready for deer season than to go shoot 3D. Oh, yeah. And there's some nice range here in Frankfurt. Percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you, I mean, shoot, you're shooting at a circle on a, on a block target. That's one thing. But when you're actually aiming at, all right, there's the shoulder crease, you know, and here's where I need to be, that gets you ready 10 times. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, so that, uh, you know, I was thinking earlier, you should be sponsored, or your your program should be sponsored by a dental practice or something like that. <laughs> Everybody says, what you did? So think Billy Bob, I never realized that Billy Bob was the one who came up with the... He came in with a magazine, and I don't know what it was, but it showed a guy bow fishing in Washington State, and his name was Biff Williams, and he was a polio victim, and he had one of his arms that he couldn't use. I instantly called Biff, mm-hmm. said, hey, dude. How do I get this thing going? Well, next thing you know, I went out uh, to Washington State and was hunting out there. Met Gail Martin. Gail Martin was aware that I was winning, you know, some national tournaments. And uh, he says, "I want you to shoot for me. Here's here's a brand new bow, and he signed it. And I've still got it somewhere." But I met Gail Martin, who was, you know, the Martin Bows. Oh yeah, the big, the, you know, he's long since gone. But uh, the next thing you know, I, I'm shooting for them, and and people are doing television. Marvin Bartlett did a local story back in the day, and he won an Emmy for it, you know, showing me shooting the bow and so on and so forth. Well, I sent something to the Outdoor Channel, which was just in its very early stages. I had done a javelina hunt out in Arizona, and they had a guy shot the video for me and and made a 60-yard shot, and it was was a really cool shot. And then I shot a pheasant out of the air with a longbow. That took a little bit to get it done, but we got it done. (laughs) I, I suspect. And I can't remember what all we did. There may have been a couple deer hunts in there and a couple fishing trips. Anyway, I did a stand-up, 
and send it to the Outdoor Channel. And again, that was an early, early stage. You remember Outdoor Channel way back mm-hmm. when they had that go, 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 fee, fee, fee. fee. Yeah, go, what I'm, about. <laughs> I'm watching it. My wife's like, turn that off. <laughs> go fever yeah, was one of the main You know, the guys, they talk so almost Minnesota. And they're, they're, their roots are from Southeast Kentucky, I believe. No that, that family is, yeah. Well, I said something out there, go, and go, they go, immediately go. got back with me and said, hey, we want you to come out here and do a show. I'm like, whoa, 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 where's here? And at the time, my wife was not thrilled about that prospect because I was working for Fish and Wildlife and making $10,000 a year. I couldn't leave that good job and go out there. I mean, seriously, that's some big bucks, boys. So I didn't act on it, but I mean, they were so pumped because I was doing things differently. Mm-hmm. I kind of realized that, you know, because I had- There's potential there. Yeah, and I was working, I had an old tape-to-tape machine I was editing because I'd always edited music and I started doing, you know, some production work and making commercials, doing things like that. And uh, when Dave Shuffett, when I heard that he was getting ready to leave, um, I remember Tim Sloan, I showed him a tape that I sent the Outdoor Channel. He said, Farmer, you need to try for that job. And I was so convinced. I mean, to me, Kentucky Field was like this, mm-hmm. this wonderful thing, oh, you know, and absolutely no way they'd hire some kid like me. So I didn't even, think, I didn't even entertain the notion. And he said, Farmer, they, they already wanted to pick you up out here. Why don't you try? I said, nah, they won't, they won't hire me. So then, since you know, some people within the department that I really looked up to were trying for it, I thought, oh, well, they'll get it. Next thing you know, it's like the last day. He says, you need to, you know, so I filled out the paperwork, took it up there, took that tape. Next thing you know, they say, hey, you're in. I'm like, oh, no. That's that's awesome. (laughs) This big camera in my face, like, no. Charlie Bang. Sell it to me, farmer. <laughs> Sell it to me. <laughs> I'm like, so what? <laughs> I mean, that's what he'd say. Stick that camera in my face, and I'd get ready to say, you know, I was nervous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sell it to me. <laughs> Brian, would be over the top. Man. <laughs> like, no, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, we got it done, man. We just took off and went down the road and made it happen. I know we have your uh, <laughs> your original audition tape here. Yeah, somewhere. it's terrible. Well, I haven't seen it yet, but I know we have it. Yeah, yeah, I don't it, know how they picked me. I really don't. <laughs> well, it worked out well. It yeah. did. It, and I'm forever grateful. You won five Emmys here, right? So five Emmys. That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm, I'm very tickled with that. It's a lot of fun. No, that's awesome. Um, I actually ran into somebody the other day. Mark Moore. He's a sheriff in yeah, Shelby County. Yeah, he actually. bought my old property. Exactly. That's what yeah. he was telling me about. Because uh, I, I just ran into him on the street when we were having a little conversation and talking about fish and wildlife and Kentucky Field TV, and he told me a story. He said uh, there was a property for sale, and he didn't know who owned it. He said he just went up to the barn, and there's a truck sitting there. He said he's kind of walking around, poking his head in different places, and he said all of a sudden this guy walked up to him out of the woods, and that was you, right? Yeah. And he, he said you pulled out your bow and did some shooting right there and walked him around the property. and so he said he ran into you, but that's just another one of those things. That was know? a long time ago. He, I think he lives next to Rick. Rick yeah, mm-hmm. neighbors. Yep, yeah, he yep. does. Sure. Did you own property by Rick at yep. one time? Yeah. Okay, that's okay. That's yep. that's right. Right next to him. Yeah, it's a pretty good company out there. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Because uh, Rick's got some beautiful oh yeah trees, big on big woods back in there. Yeah, back in there. It's <clears throat> and when I was a kid, I don't know how old I was. I mean, maybe. Back in the 60s. Yeah. (laughs) No, I was honestly, I was probably, I started bow hunting when I was 11. So this had to be when I was 14 or 15. 
I tried pulling my bow back with it. Okay. <laughs> Did you break anything? Oh my god, it was. I, I don't even know how you do it, but I could I could see with bow fishing it being a little bit easier because of poundage. Do you do what, what kind of poundage do you shoot for? Well, deer? and see, here's the thing. Yeah. These guys were shooting faster and faster bows, well, and it was all about pin gap back then because nobody had you know nobody mm-hmm. was shooting any fancy stuff. <clears throat> so in order to keep up and keep a fast bow, now I was limited. Now I would normally been a thirty inch draw, mm-hmm. but due to Going from my mouth to my hand, my I was I went down to twenty eight inch. Yeah, you lose about 10, inch 10 draw. Feet, fifteen feet a second. Man. Yeah, so I was trying to keep up with these guys shooting these fast bows. So guess how many pounds I was pulling in tournaments? Eighty. No. Couldn't pull do it. Eighty pound bow. Couldn't do it. Now I'd be like Bugs that. Bunny, and all your teeth come out. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you think about it, I'm using my jaw teeth. Yeah, you're okay? not using. You're not using my front teeth. Yeah. So you're using your jaw teeth and your neck muscles. Yeah. And you see these people in the circus that you know support yeah. their whole you know. Our, holding on to their whole body weight with their teeth. Oh. So it's doable, That's but still, you know, I, I would pounds. not want to pull 80. And today, you know, you for, with 55 pounds, you can get a really fast arrow. So oh, I'm yeah. pulling about 60 pounds there, but, but 70 was always about where I'd I stayed. in the past 30 or 40 years, the bow speed per draw poundage has just gone up remarkably. Oh, yeah. Like you could probably get a 45 pound bow right now that shoots faster than anything did 40 years oh, ago. Oh yeah, absolutely. Easily. But um, <clears throat> that's something that, it, I, you know how when somebody first starts shooting a bow, or you can get a real strong guy who's never shot a bow before. You give him a 70-pound bow, he's going to struggle like, yeah. a, you know, he can't It's get like cocking your BB gun when you're seven, you know. It's, yeah. it's <laughs> hard at first, then you figure it out. Yeah. 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 Some of it comes down to form and just building up those certain muscles. So I'm assuming that over time it probably got a little bit easier for you yeah. once you develop that. It did. But so that goes on. So so you're obviously holding the bow with your, with your left hand. Are you putting that tab on the left side of your jaw? And that's the thing. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm right eye dominant. Okay. So I had to pull back. I tried it this way, but it just didn't feel right. So I pull it this way. So I have to look out my left eye, and I'm right eye dominant. Mm-hmm. Now here's what happened, and this is why I'm not so big on tournaments anymore, because there's always people who just, if they don't win, they're mad. Yeah. And it didn't matter what you were doing, you know, and here I had overcome some situations. And a couple people said that I had an unfair advantage because Ow. I was, as they say, looking right down the arrow. No, I wasn't. Well, why don't you tell them to do it? Well, I just <laughs> shot him. I buried him in a shallow grave. They'll never yeah, find him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, you know, when you pull when you pull a bow back, uh, first of all, I'm right out of so I have to look at my left eye. And then, you know, it's a pretty good solid release. It's just, you know, opening your mouth. But you got, you know, there's some movement there. Yeah. But it was practice and a lot of practice. And there was no unfair, unfair advantage, no, believe you me. I don't see, I mean, if you think about the mechanics of a release, there's still more movement and more time delay there that's involved in pulling that trigger, you know, and that ball bearing rolling open. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, not, I don't see how they can and make I, that. You know, complaint. occasionally I would get a little TMJ from that, you know, from doing mm-hmm. that, because I used to shoot a lot. So yeah. <laughs> my jaw would lock shut, and I'd have to walk around mm-hmm. a couple days like this. <laughs> but we got her done, didn't we? <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> what, what do you think the most challenging part of the, all that was? From the, from the accident to, to getting back in full swing of everything? Challenging part of? I mean, the hardest thing to learn, the hardest... The, the most difficult thing to get back into? You know, I never really thought about anything other than just getting from point A to point Z, mm-hmm. just just getting there and getting it done. So the end goal for you from the beginning wasn't, I'm going to be doing everything again. You just kind of learned it as you went along the way? Yeah, and I think the harder you have to work for something, the more you appreciate it. Oh, as yeah. with anything, if you're a kid and your parents give you a car and pay for your gas and insurance, mm-hmm. you know, so what if somebody... You're wrapping around a tree. Yeah, you're wrapping around a tree not care because they'll give you another one. Mm-hmm. If you earn something yourself and you work hard at it, you appreciate every little gain. Mm-hmm. So every time that I went through an experience where I had to learn something, it was a little tougher, you know, 
it was all uh, rewarding, and yeah. it still is. I'm challenge driven anyway. So mm -hmm. you know, if somebody puts this block up, I'm gonna figure out how to knock it down. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I'm not saying this in a braggadocious manner, but you know, in my life, this has not been an impediment. Mm -hmm. If anything, it has given me the strength once I figured, hey, I can do this. Well, yeah. hey, how about this? And then if I figure this out, hey, if I can do that, why can't I do this? Yeah. So that's the sort of thing that 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 led up to, I think. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Well, you know, uh, <clears throat> Chase, when he goes out uh, fishing w with his girl, oh, she catches a lot of big fish. Every time I've been on the show with Farmer, he's like whipped me, <laughs> and all my friends have gigged me for years. <laughs> over the it's just it's just the, the camera. The camera yeah, makes my, him nervous. My yeah, used to get hurt, but it doesn't anymore. <laughs> At this point, I've just accepted it. I know I mean, I'm the guy that takes the pictures of her with the big fish, and that's my that job. Lake we fished. That up in that guys, it was one of those old um, soil conservation service lakes up in way up in was it Lincoln County, and it, it was private. Man, and we I did that float tube about that. Yeah, and we threw that that big old like ribbon tail. I believe it was a blaze. I think it was made locally, wasn't it? Dogwood. I one had of those. forgotten about and you that. You caught a gorgeous largemouth. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, man, I forgot about Nathan that. Nathan Sangster was yeah. the one who filmed us that day. Yeah, where was this at? At a, um, it was in Lincoln County, wasn't it? I'm you trying to remember that farmer's name. I, it was right on the tip of my tongue. Was it Gooch? I think it was. Yes. I think it was. You see, you do so many of these shows, and you, you, sometimes you pull something out of your hat like that, and I never would have thought about that until you mentioned that. I'm yeah. sure over the course of 21 years, you probably did so many segments. And you know Especially what? if you consider Bust. Mm -hmm. I oh, mean, yeah. I mean, there, there are oh. thousands of segments there. Yeah. yeah. That's that's yeah, literally thousands. And you know, these were segments. You know, and I'm not talking a whole show. Each show sometimes had four to five segments, mm -hmm. depending yeah. on what's going on. That's well, a whole lot of stuff. You make me tired just thinking about it. And you have to get. I mean, the, the mother nature has to cooperate with you too. Oh, you no. can go out there and not not kill a rabbit. That's not going on the show, but you still did it. But mm -hmm. here's the thing: we're, we we live in such a blessed place, mm -hmm. such a blessed resource. That we were in the ninety-something percentile. That's pretty. I good. mean, high nineties. I'm mm -hmm. sure you know. Usually, when you go out, if you talk to somebody that knows what they're doing, well, you try to go out there knowing that you're going to have a good. Watch the weather, but, yeah. and, and you, you know you can bring your odds way up. Mm -hmm. and you just use common sense, and you find folks. You know, our our thing was always, let's get this guy on. Mm -hmm. He's not comfortable with the camera. He's never been on camera. He's a little bit shy. That's a guy I want. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you forget, you forget. He forgets there's a camera going after a while, and we have a good time, and and we learn something from somebody. Do you have yeah. a favorite shoot? Or it was I just wanted, because thinking of through all of them would be impossible. Is there anything that <clears throat> stands out? Man, there are so many things. Some of the most popular ones are Turtle Man. This mm -hmm. is from when you were host. Obviously, <laughs> the one, that's the most popular of all time yeah, on a YouTube. Man. And then um, Bill Dixon's Country Smokehouse is good, or Salting and Curing Your Own Meat. That's a really, that's a really good one. You know one what? Too. That was a stretch because I'm working at Fish and Wildlife and I'm interviewing this guy who's, you know, doing the old-fashioned pig killing. That was so interesting to me. And we I knew that there was a market for it, and I, I shouldn't say market, but I knew there was a viewing audience there for it. Because it wasn't directly related to hunting and fishing. Yeah, and I'm like, about. how do I pull this off? You know, I guess there's some wild pigs in Kentucky, you know? <laughs> but that's what led me, and you know, I was, getting towards, I was getting towards the end of my time here. And the Bill Dixon thing was, was monumental for me because my whole life, is based on old timers, mm -hmm. people that I have run into. And when I was a kid, I looked for the oldest guy, the whitest hair in the room, and I wanted that to be my buddy. Now we mm -hmm. were out way out in rural Kentucky all the time. Mm -hmm. 
And these are the fellows who, you know, were climbing trees, the, the Dexter Wilburns and the Arnold mm -hmm. Bushes climbing tr trees barefooted to shake a possum out, you know. Mm -hmm. God, these guys were full of wisdom and knowledge. My buddies didn't know anything. They were, mm -hmm. you know, they're 12 years old. What do they know? I went and I, I would find these guys and they would become my best friend. You know, when they figure out that you want their knowledge, <clears throat> that you're not there for anything other mm -hmm. than to learn from them, man, they want to share that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I've done that my whole life. Bill Dixon. <clears throat> Golly, the stories this guy so, told me. Yeah, I mean, he seemed like a really interesting character or person. And oh, he, even today, the stories he told about living in Harlan and getting yeah. shot at and shooting back, and I mean, just I mean, <laughs> man, could he tell some stories? But that was, you know, that was towards the end of my time here, and I started thinking, man, there's 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 a crossroads here. I was still doing Kentucky Field. But I had this thought that would not leave me alone. But you did cooking on the show quite a bit. Yeah, and that was just, that was just it. Let me back up a little bit before I go there. My life changed drastically. One of these old guys. This guy changed my life forever. It was probably 1989 or 90. My next door neighbor, father, she was French, and her father's name was Raoul Dupree, an old French chef. Yeah. He looked like Charlie Chaplin when he was really old, you know, a little guy, you know, just just a vibrant personality. A little bit cooler than Chef Perola at the, <laughs> at the aging car. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so here's this, here's this guy, and uh, he sees me out practicing for a shoot. Oh, his mind is blown. He sees me shooting a bow with my teeth. He's from France, and he's shooting competitive in France. He's shooting a longbow. He's, and they wear these little outfits. They look so goofy, like Peter Pan hat. I mean, it was really <laughs> odd, the, the, the clothes they would wear to these shoots. I mean, it was laughable. Yeah. And he showed me a picture. I started laughing. He said, well, well you know, he said, I knew a tiny bit of French. He knew a tiny bit of English. And he said, Why, what's so funny? I said, your outfit. I said, you're Peter Pan. So he, he got it. So I got to know this guy. I brought a trout in one time I'd caught. Good-sized trout. Mm -hmm. I mean, six-pound trout. And uh, he saw me on my way in. You know, we were... She was a European distributor for one of the one of the uh, bourbon outfits. Her name was Yvette. She was married to a Greek fellow. So he saw me bring this trout in. He says, ah, "How are you going to fix that?" And we had become friends because, like I said, I go after, I went after the whitehead dude. I wanted his yeah. knowledge. I didn't really know that much about him other than he was a chef. Yeah. <clears throat> so he he saw me packing this trout in. He said, "We can do that." I said, "I don't know. I'm probably you know I'm not a big trout fan." I said, "I'll probably smoke it or whatever." Oh no 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 no. I said, what? I said, you want to fix it? Yeah, yeah, you mind? I said, no, I don't. So I go to, go to clean it and I cut the head off and I'm taking it. I'm getting ready to toss all this stuff out. No, no, no. And I'm like, what, what, what? <laughs> so he takes the head and he takes the tail and he takes everything and he, you know, he puts it in and starts cooking it, making some stock. Mm. And I'm watching this guy. I'm like, what is he doing? You know, I'm thinking if, if you're cooking, you know, fish, you know, I'm thinking maybe some white wine, maybe some garlic, whatever. No, he comes in with tomatoes and, and red wine and all these things that you just would think would be. Hmm. And he makes the most delicious trout I have ever eaten in my life. And I wish <laughs> I had taken this information down. Then he got my attention. But when I saw from another culture mm -hmm. how he looked at that fish as this precious resource, above yeah. and beyond what I, ever, I would ever think about, mm -hmm. I noticed this was other cultures. I was in a, in a Chinese restaurant the other day. And this Asian lady says, oh, you know, where have you been? Where have you been? I said, I've been, been fishing. Did you catch any? I said, yeah. I said, I caught, caught a whole cooler full. She said, oh, can, can, I, can I buy some from you? I said, no. I said, that's not legal. <laughs> oh, can I please buy some from you? I said, I said, no, you cannot. She said, well, can I see them? 
So I brought the cooler and she looked at him. She said, oh, my. So a fella came out of the back and he can't speak, you know, English, but he's like, oh, oh he wants this and he wants that. I said, listen, I had crappie, but I accidentally caught a hybrid, mm -hmm. which is a good accident oh, yeah. to make. And then I caught a largemouth bass, which, sorry, I like to eat them. Yeah. You know, about the 15 inch set. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. It's not like Ted used to be. Yeah, yeah, it's not I'm a sorry. shame. To, it's I'm not sorry. a shame to eat a fish. You, I don't care what you say if you're mad at me. Good. So, <laughs> I tell them all the time, I don't care. No, they're delicious. So anyway, he saw that hybrid and the, and the bass, which I really wanted to eat. Yeah. But he was so, you know, oh, I'm, you know, she was trying to translate, no, we're going to buy them. I said, no, you're not. It's a gift. Well, they don't, they don't want you to, you know, they didn't want me to give them anything, but I insisted, take these. You, you have fun with these. And I eat the crop. Which I have well, no problem with that. Well, it's not a bad deal. <laughs> no problem with that either. <clears throat> but when you see different cultures, how affected they are by our resource, they're, they're kind of a step away from, from what we are, we look at every day and, 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 you know, take for granted. Yeah. So he took this fish and then he, then he, Raul, back to Raul, then he started talking about deer hunting. Do you, do you have any deer meat? I said, yeah, I got deer meat. <gasps> oh, he just, you know, <laughs> oh, he just couldn't believe it. Well, can I have some? Can I fix you some? I said, well, certainly after the trout. I'm like, yeah, you can. Yeah. Let's, you know, come on in here. So him and I got to be closer and closer. And then I started researching. We did a story on him way back. You remember that? Mm -hmm. It was probably in 97, I want to say. What was his name? Raul Dupree. And, uh, <laughs> didn't get to checking on this guy. He was the owner of a huge restaurant in Casablanca. He cooked for the King of Morocco. He had a restaurant with a swimming pool with a staff of 60 who took care of everybody. He cooked for Lauren McCall, uh, Humphrey Bogart, all these, all these celebrities. I mean, Palm Trees was a beautiful, beautiful place. And I, I had no idea that he was a big shot. He would come in to visit his daughter and she'd say, oh, great. He's not coming to see me, he's coming to see you. <laughs> so uh, next thing you know, we'd be off on this food adventure. We had him on the show and I began to appreciate the resource a lot more when I saw a famous French chef say, look what you've got here. Mm -hmm. He didn't try to cover up the taste. He didn't try to uh, change the taste. He enhanced the taste. Mm -hmm. So many people say, how do you get rid of that flavor? You don't want to get yeah. rid of the flavor. You want to enhance it. Use the right uh, herbs, spices, jellies, jams, wine, whatever, to enhance that flavor and go along with that flavor. And um, he taught me so many things. And, and every time he came in, man, I would just, I was just, and he took me on. On the show, he said, he said, you're my son. And I was like, oh, you know, because he was, a, he was also a resistance fighter in World War II. Mm. Him and his buddies would wait outside the bars for the Nazis to come out, and they took care of some business, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So fascinating character. I learned and I learned and I learned and I learned. And, and he, you know, he put his hands over my eyes and make me smell, you know, different things. And he paid me this compliment. I wish I could remember what it was. It's, and he, he tried to explain it. He, he said, and it sounded to me like he's saying I was a dog in the woods or something. What, what he was trying to tell me is I could track game with my nose. Mm -hmm. He said, you have the nose of a chef. And so he would say, you know, what is this? I'd say, that's Mars Ram. I mean, because he really spent some time with me and I took it seriously. And uh, he says he said you'd make you'd make you make a good chef. I didn't didn't take that lightly. Mm -hmm. So as a sportsman, I learned from him on the show. We brought him on, had him cook on the show, and I thought, man, I, we don't realize what a you know. As a sportsman, is it not our job mm -hmm. to show folks? Okay, you've mm -hmm. got this meat. What are you gonna do with it? Mm -hmm. So we brought in a guy, a friend of mine, who's absolutely amazing with a knife, Sim Harp.
Yeah, he did our processing of deer. Yeah. Deer processing, start to finish or something like that. Yeah, I brought him in and said, let's do this. So we did it on the show. Next thing you know, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of those things we sold. And people are still using it. I use it today. We still sell those today. People love it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, as a sportsman, Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, once we get this game, it's my, I think, in this position, it's my responsibility to say, hey, here's what you do next. Now let's make a recipe. Now, there are certain people, this was early back in the day, they're saying, well, why do you want to be cooking on a show? I'm like, well, what are you going to do with it? After what are you, you going to do with it? It's our, it's our responsibility. Right, and show you how point. to do it well. Mm-hmm. Now, there are certain people in certain areas that, you know, it didn't go over real well. But most people, mm-hmm. most people really latched onto that and said, yeah, man, give us some more recipes and so on and so forth. So we, we well, went. you put some, quite a few in the magazine since I've been oh, here. Oh, yeah. yeah, you've, yeah. Well, you know, recipes, <laughs> cooking the meat goes hand in hand with harvesting it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. it really is one and the same or it should be. And I'll say that when I was younger, I didn't quite appreciate it that much. You know, it was more about the hunt for me and then I'd have the meat in the freezer. What do I do with this meat I got in the freezer? Find a reason to cook it or find a time to. But now, especially with, with fish, mm-hmm. it's more about going out and getting the meat because I, oh, yeah. I enjoy that a lot more than I used to. And on, before we're done here, we're gonna talk recipes. And I yeah. wanna get a we'll couple do that. from you. You know what, here's, here's the thing, we, we go fishing. Mm-hmm. If I catch a striped bass, I'm the happiest man in the world. Same mm-hmm. here. I, favorite three, striped bass, the walleye species oh, as oh, far yeah. as sauger, oh, yeah. sauger, and then you give me a crappie. Those three. What, what if I asked you guys, and we have a catering business, what if I asked you guys, if I had to order some striped bass, what would 11 pound striped bass cost me? 11 pounds of fillets or the bass? Just the fish. An 11 pound striped bass? What do you think it would cost? $20 a pound? That seems, I wouldn't have guessed that high because it's something that I can go out and catch what, what myself. You, what do you guess? I don't know. I mean, maybe $11 pound, $12 pound? Eleven, twenty. $219. $219 a pound? Now, if you buy it in a in a eight ounce piece skin on, like a, a restaurant serving, mm-hmm. what do you think it would cost? $26. $26. For eight ounces. And we eat hundreds of dollars whenever we go to Joe's. <laughs> so if you go to the East Coast or the West Coast, and I just did an East Coast foodie trip and a West Coast foodie trip, and I, and I got straight bass, mm-hmm. and I looked at straight bass on the market, that is the most coveted fish. And people huh. are asking other people, well, you want this? You want to take this? I'm like, heck yeah. Cut that red meat out and let's go to town. Yeah, yeah. got to get rid of the red meat. And Man. then, and then you look at you look at you know, and I look at, and I always have. I've looked at hunting and fishing as as the first part of the experience. The next part, I enjoy the cleaning, the yeah. processing of the animal, and I really, really, really enjoy eating the animal. So, with these different cultures and the different friends that I ran into, the old white-headed guys, including Philippe Roca. You know Philippe? Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh no no, Tim, have Lee, Lee, where's the good dove field? <laughs> He always sits me up for so where the good dove feels. You talk to these people who appreciate our culture and, and the, the resources that we're blessed with. You think about how uh, the game that we have is 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 utilized by others by other folks out there. So a lot of people now. now if if you're going to do any kind of meat, um, obviously you want those enzymes to break down a little mm. bit. It's so you know the French take it to extremes. If you if Philippe got a woodcock, mm-hmm. they would leave the intestines in. Oh, he told so, me sometimes, and let them they let them set until the skin starts to 
to slip, as they would say. The hide starts to slip and the feathers come out. Hmm. Okay. What happens when game, what happens right now? I got a calf that's hanging at, at, at uh, Marksbury. What's happening? Yeah, He's aging. What, yeah. Those enzymes begin to break down. What happens to the fat? The fat starts to be more aromatic. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's controlled decomposition is what yeah. it is. Mm -hmm. People are so squeamish. Yeah. And we're so spoiled about they're the so whole squeamish process. about game in general. Yes. When you say they're just, oh, yes. I got to get this meat. Oh, it's going to. Yeah. They overcook duck. They overcook yes. the venison because they're so scared they're going to get sick. I was like, I'm much more worried about stuff that's been in a feedlot around Absolutely. two trillion other cows. Absolutely. Than I am about you know than I am about a nice uh, piece of uh, venison. So many mistakes are made. Um, and the, the, the thing that I hate more than anything is here's somebody, ew, yuck, I'm not eating that. Yeah. Oh, come on. If Let's try it. If you don't tell them what it is, I don't know how many people have eaten. Like, oh, God, that's great. What is it? Well, that's venison. My, daughter, my daughter Kelly, who produces a show, she was a kid, starving college student. You know what I'm talking uh, about? Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> she came in one weekend, and she, we having steak. I didn't say what kind of steak it was, but we were having some nice filet. And I seasoned them just like I would season anything else and handed it to her, and she devoured it and wanted another one. She professed before that to not like venison. After that, guess who raided the freezer and took all my venison yep. back mm -hmm. to college? Ta-da! <laughs> Success. So, you know, so here we are in a situation where, say, you have taken game. There's so many mistakes being made. This, this wonderful, a duck. Mm -hmm. People overcook duck. Oh my God! If it's if it's white through the middle, you've ruined it. Yes, it's got to be it's pink. It's got to be pink. You know what? And and I can't tell anybody what temperature to cook their meat. But I, I'm very careful on my temperature. I don't go over 140, 145 on my duck. Mm. It's going to be pink. You don't want to. You know. You know that meat in itself is is a muscle meat and it's mm -hmm. very red. Mm -hmm. If you cook it too much, it starts to get that rubbery liver flavor. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you get that pink, it's more like a good steak. Oh, it's delicious. It's but so wonderful. many people probably eat an overcooked duck and like, God, oh, duck's terrible. Like, and it's a little more work, but man, you get some teal or you get some mallard and you pluck that thing, mm -hmm. you leave the skin on it. It's, it's mighty hard. Is probably my favorite. Oh, yeah. Don't you think? Yes. And all, yeah, you set it in the refrigerator, put some sea salt on it in it, some rosemary, whatever you want to do. Think about it more as a steak than a duck. And you can brown it real quickly on the outside, put it in the oven. You know, 400 degrees, or whatever you want to do, but watch the temperature. I'm not talking 12, 15 minutes. You're done. Mm -hmm. Cut that thing. Oh mm. my gosh! Think, but think, think about cooking duck more like steak. I know it's a hard concept, but man, that's good stuff no, when you get it right. Took a long. It takes a long time to learn that. Yes, it does. Do you put uh, your shows or segments on YouTube? Yes. So all of your recipes that you've done on the show should be available yeah, on and YouTube. Yeah, then timfarmerscountrykitchen.com. Yeah. And I, I've seen your YouTube channel before. Yeah. Actually, it pops up automatically. And when I'm looking at the analytics of our channel, it's one of the ones that pops up as a as a related channel or something mm -hmm. you might want to look yeah. at. Yeah. Well, we just started putting stuff on there back in 13. Well, I that's think. something I'm going to start referencing myself when I am going to cook something. Because honestly, I'm sure that I could probably type in Tim Farmer's Country Kitchen and you know, venison steak, and it would come up with something, or, or there's a bunch of them. Or, yeah. what, what'd you learn about the red currant jelly, and where's your best supply? Right. To get it? What is red currant jelly? Um, it's it's hard to find, isn't it? It is hard. Well, let me tell you what. Here's and here's the strange thing. It, if you put it in your deer, you know your oh, deer it's stew magic. recipe. It's we magic. made it on fish and trips. People like, I don't think I like venison. They'll eat three bowls. Like, you got so you got that from me, mm -hmm. who got it from Raul, who cooked it right back here. Okay. Now that's one of the things. I that think you put that in the magazine. Didn't yes. You? To enhance your venison, there are certain things that really work well. 
So if you take if you take in anything that you're cooking venison wise, whether it's a venison stew, mm -hmm. whether you want to make a, a, a reduced uh, red wine sauce, there's a top secret thing here that's so easy. A little beef bouillon, you can. I, I think one of the easy ones is probably uh, better than bouillon the beef. Mm -hmm. Take that, some red wine, some currant jelly, mix that up, reduce it down. What have you got? You've got magic. Take your take your deer tenderloin, cut some medallions, just briefly in butter, salt and pepper. Boom, boom. Minute on either side, pink in the middle. Pour that wine sauce over. You've got magic. Mm -hmm. Magic. You go to a restaurant. That deer stew is fabulous. So yeah. that's, I've always wondered where the red currant jelly came from. So that's came from that's the deal breaker. If you don't have it in there, it's not as good. So now here's what happened. There was, they started carrying it around here because people were asking for it. You could go to every Kroger's for years. Mm -hmm. Now and it's kind of backed off again. that. Yeah. It's hard to find. I did find some uh, the other day at Whole Foods. It's in a, like a checked uh, top. I need to get my friend Scotty a jar because yeah. he, he made that deer stew several times. I'm like, I'd feed a bunch of guys on a fishing trip. Yeah, See, you, you got that from me and didn't even know it. No, yeah. Isn't that cool, though? Well, yeah, what, you, you did it. Um, Raul. Yes, from Raul, yes. And then I did the stew and I had but that in the stew. But you did that stew and that you did it in the magazine, yep. too. That's where Scotty cut it it's out. Magic. You did it on the show. And it's magic. I mean, that, it's just, and you did a, I was watching your show the other day. You did another recipe with red currant jelly. Oh, where sure. y'all did the maple syrup one. Yeah. Remember that it was a rerun. Yeah. But um and and you said without this this makes it so good. And and once you start experimenting with one thing it carries over to the next thing. You think, "Oh, if this is good over here, it's really going to be good over here." But you imagine that. You go out on a fishing trip and you catch a striper. Yeah. Say it's a, you know, an 11 pound striper. Mm -hmm. If I had to order it from this fish market, I looked it up this morning, just, just out of curiosity, because some people ask us, we do private chef events, things like that. Somebody asked for this, I don't have it. It's gonna cost me $219 for an 11 pound. Yeah. I mean, that's with head attached and, and innards. Well, I'm sure they've taken the innards out. Yeah, sure but if I, want a, if I want a piece, just a restaurant size piece with the skin on, 26 bucks, dude. Think about that. Imagine what? the money Sasser is putting in his boat. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, my buddy Joe, if that's legal, it's going in the box. Now, I mean, what's what's a, what's a good thing to do with with your striper? I like them blackened, but I'm probably they're great blackened. Yeah. But listen to this: you think about any restaurant, you go you go to uh, what is, what is around here? Just a, like a bonefish or mm -hmm. something like that. What are you going to ask for? They're going to say, "Do you want this? This? Do you want this grilled? Do you want it broiled? Do you want it such?" And you got a choice of sauces. Think lemon. Butter, uh -huh. white wine, little heavy cream, uh -huh. and you're good to go. So I've got a confession to make. I've never actually cooked with wine. I've what? Cooked, I've cooked with wine in a glass Lee? and drank it well. <laughs> Mike is handy. See, the problem I have with wine is it's, like, it's all gone by the time I get around to cooking. <laughs> I, I just use it for cooking. I've never drank a drop in my life. <laughs> and I'm still 31 years old. <laughs> Something like that. That's the ticket. But you know, one of the things about cooking with wine is a lot of people think, like cooking sherry, that's horrible. Yes. So I've, I've got a really good, it's been in a magazine too. A buddy of mine gave me a great waterfowl recipe that means a good dry sherry, but buy the good stuff that you would drink. That, yeah, don't that get the cheap sherry. Stuff, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's rancid no, almost. It's, it's not. It's and not. the same thing with wine. Don't cook with a wine you wouldn't drink because yes. cheap wine tastes like crap. Yes. Tastes like crap when you drink it. Yes. Tastes like crap in your food. Yes. That is a, as an automatic deal breaker. If you use cheap wine, you're going to have a cheap taste. Mm -hmm. It's going to just going to be bad. So 
step it up a notch. Yeah. So Dude. Not, not the box line? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boone's Farm doesn't come back and have No Mad Dog in my <laughs> Yeah, no Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> but you think about the, the British and the French, you know, they've had years and years and years to figure out, you know, they have their wine cultures over there, you know, yeah. they're going to figure out what it's going to take to make, you know, to have good pheasant. Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking at a print I had in my house from the 1800s, and it's an old deal I bought in an antique store. It's an English deal. There's a pheasant. There's a chucker. I'm not sure where it's from over there. There's a robin. There's a woodcock. So you think, I mean, they ate robin. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. So, I mean, and don't you think over the last couple thousand years in, in their culture, in a wine culture, that they haven't figured out how to use each particular wine for each different thing and to gather mushrooms and to gather what they have to, to enhance these flavors, you know, the garlics and the shallots. Always have some, if you're going to cook wild game, have you some garlic and some shallots. Mm-hmm. Shallots are fantastic. Oh, they're absolutely wonderful. And we roast vegetables with them. I mean, it's real simple. Leeks. A little olive oil and uh, we'll do sweet potatoes, green beans with some shallots in it. Oh. Just roast them. A little oh, olive yeah. oil, salt and pepper, a little garlic, <clears throat> and you're home free. Try some leeks. You know, I, I did a... People were asking me for quail. Where are you getting your leeks? I went leek hunting last year for the first time. We had to go on the other side of town to that Kroger to get them. Yeah, you can get them at Kroger sometimes. We were looking through the woods. <laughs> now you can find ramps. Yeah, I found ra- some we ramps. We were looking for ramps and leeks last yeah. year. Certain slopes and yeah. forest out in eastern Kentucky, but ramps so, are fantastic. But it's you know it's it's a short period of time you can get that. I got a buddy growing some here in Frankfurt now. He's got some cultivated so. But you know what? You, you get you say you shoot a bunch of quail. What do you do with those quail? Mm-hmm. I did something not too long ago. You want to cook them. You know, a lot of game, wild game is not fatty no. at all. You think about the way that we're used to having chicken, and we're used to having beef. These poor things are set up in this little hole, and you know, given massive quantities of beef to cattle, and that. I mean, I mean, excuse me, massive quantities of grain, which they're not used to, and and really don't do very well with. They get fat, and they get marbled. But with wild game, you don't have that fat. You don't have them sitting in cages and you know filling them up. So. Each particular wild game has its own particular taste. I would say learn to love what it is. Put a little salt and pepper on it, have it as it is, and then think in your mind, what can I do to enhance this? Not to hide it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's trying to hide that game. It's enough. Let it work for you. Mm-hmm. Use something that enhances that, like the currant jelly with venison. It's magic. Mm-hmm. You know, with quail, I like to brown them. And put, you know, you can put some apples or something inside them and keep them moist. Brown it first. Turn it over in some olive oil, butter, whatever. Then set it in your pot. I like to do a lot of Dutch oven cooking. Mm-hmm. Set it in your pot with you know that much chicken broth, and then put your leeks and your raisins and, and different things in it to you know whatever you like, and then set that top on and let it cook, you know for an hour and a half or whatever, at whatever temperature you like. And next thing you know, you get these wonderful little quail. They're already browned, mm-hmm. but they're moist because you know I've got something in that Dutch oven that's going to yeah. keep that moisture in. Yep. So you, it's a whole different game because they don't have the fat that we're used to with the domesticated animals. But, man, oh, man, if you do it right and you take your time, you, you end up with something that's, that's magic. Fantastic. Yeah. Honestly, it's better start to finish. Because you were talking about domesticated animals and where the meat comes from. I mean, stuck in you know, fencing areas being grain-fed only. And just the way that from start to finish, the wild animals versus domesticated animals, the meat that it produces. And if you can prepare it like... I mean, you're making me want to go prepare right now. Then mm-hmm. start to finish, it's a better process, oh, yeah. 100%. And, and much more healthy for you. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like I said, over time, I've gone to these old folks, the Bill Dixons, mm-hmm. and, you know, watch him do his thing. That led me to thinking, wow, 
I need to cover some of the stuff. You know, we can venison on the show, mm -hmm. but there's certain things we couldn't do on Kentucky Field that I wanted to do. And so I was out mowing one day, and then my mower, my son Nick, had damaged it because he went 800 miles an hour and ran a lot more. <laughs> and it was something sounded like chitty chitty bang bang. <laughs> and so as I was clicking along on the lawnmower, you know, I had decided they say you are what you eat. I don't eat chicken feet. <laughs> but around me, some my grandma's pickled beets. Oh no, you know, so I went ran down the recording studio, recorded the song, which ended up being the theme song for Tim Farmer's Country Kitchen. <laughs> I said, Nikki, I got to do this. She says, I don't. Know. So I asked the department, I said, hey, I want to do this. I'll tell you the real story on that later. You want to do what exactly? Ten Farmers Country Ten Kitchen? Ten Farmers Country Kitchen. Yeah. I wanted to do these things. I wanted to show how to process vegetables, how to how to do this, how to talk to these old timers, yeah. the Bill Dixons, because there's a bunch of them out there. How to bury your cabbage in the garden, you know, in mm -hmm. sawdust and this, that, and the other. It's the old time things that, that, are, that are kind of going out of the way. And just do some flat out good, you know, southern cooking. So I came up for Fish My Life. I said, because I was still here. I said, I, I got to do this. They said, okay, we'll sign this paper. Make sure you don't involve the two with each other, which I didn't. And this was in 2012. Mm -hmm. So I put it on a different network. Mm -hmm. And within a year, I get a call from KET. He said, hey, people are asking why it's not over here. I said, well, you interested? Before I could say the word interested, they said yes. So boom, mm -hmm. we go over there. We get a 7 o'clock spot. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, we're in the very top of the ratings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I, Nikki, I told you this would work. And uh, the people who follow this show and the people who are on the show are the most wonderful people in the world. They mm -hmm. come up, you know, talk to us on the street, and they're just so friendly, so wonderful, such such a good bunch of folks. Well, there's such a hunger out there for that knowledge. Yes, Don't you think? it's really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It and is. you know what? It's not all that because we couldn't do each. We couldn't find somebody every week like that. So we we do recipes as well. But I brought Dad in to make his turkey hash hmm. after Thanksgiving. This kitchen would have to have this peculiar smell. And you wouldn't think that onions, turkey, chicken broth, and salt and pepper would have any unique deal at all. Mm -hmm. But dad, instead of instead of cooking his onions in butter or anything first, he put that in that, and he would cook the stock down until the starch from the potatoes would, would make it kind of thick. Then he would serve that over biscuits, and that, well, that's what we had. And then we come to find out, when dad did his recipe on the show, that's an old-timey thing, and all these people said, yeah, we love turkey ash, we haven't had it in years, we're gonna try it again. You know, that's an old, old-fashioned deal that, you know, did you ever cook with Uncle Russ Chittenden? Do you ever, do you yes. Did you Uncle ever, was Russ, he, he was an inspiration for this whole thing. He was a cool, oh, Uncle Russ, right there, I'm going to buy Did he used to come cook the wild yes. game dinner back when we had those? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, he's one of those guys I latched on to, and I said, you know, man, show me this, show me that. He's dead now, isn't he? He's dead. You know, he, he just passed away just not that long ago. He's way up in his 90s. I ran into Russ Kennedy at the store the other day when we were talking about Uncle Uncle Russ. I went to his funeral. He was a fantastic guy. He was, he was a veteran, mm -hmm. which I didn't know. And he was just one of those fantastic characters. But he had a lot of that knowledge, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, damn, come over. I'm going to show you. There's some bourbon. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I have to do this. <laughs> but he was a fantastic individual. And he was one of those people. And, and let me tell you something about him real quick. Did you know what he did for a living way back in the day? He was an architect by trade. Mm. But I went to his house one time and he's showing me all these pictures. Well, there's Debbie Reynolds and there's there's uh, um, you know all these period actors, Gregory Peck and you know from back in the 40s and 50s. And there was sign, hey hey Russ, you know nice seeing you and such and such. I'm like, 
Russ, how did you know that? Oh, I used to be a location scout for M- MGM back in the day. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, so movies, movies like uh, Rain Tree Country and and oh yeah, uh, that was filmed in Danville. And I'm not sure. I think that was one of his. But uh, How the West was one. When when uh, Jimmy Stewart was going down the the canoe and whatever was happening, and Debbie Reynolds was playing the the uh, accordion. Mm-hmm. He I've seen that since I was a kid. Those spots, Uncle Russ picked those spots. Just just amazing. He's a, he was an amazing guy. He had an excellent cookbook. Oh I yeah. I think we had a few of his recipes in the cookbook. Dave oh, has sure. that cookbook. It's still got a, it's still got a bunch of recipes, and you know, he's one of those people that you can learn from. And you say, you know, he's cooking a recipe, and you say, man, I never thought about using that in there. And then you take it to the next thing, and that's the way cooking is. There are no rules, but if you learn from one thing, then you go to the next, the next, the next, and mm-hmm. then you have this that's, multitude of knowledge that's yours that you've got from other people. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way. There are no rules. There yes. are no rules. Yeah. And I hate it when somebody says, well, you can't put that in that. Yep. Watch me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't put you can't put macaroni in chili. Well, you can you can put chili a dead frog in there if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> there are no rules. <laughs> I'd clean the frog first. You know. No doubt. <laughs> That's when I could stay out late. We were going frog gigging, you know, I had a curfew, but frog gigging, Dad was like, just bring home the frogs. <laughs> Come on when you want. <laughs> as long as I had some. Uh, then you went somewhere else besides frog gigging. You said, said you're a frog guy. Don't even come home with frogs. I mean, that was good. the deal. If he let you out the out the barn to go frog gigging, All right. you need to come home with frogs. Not come home smelling like, you know. That's been interesting. Cigarettes and beer. I didn't know what we were going to talk about when you were coming on. I said, oh, oh, we could talk about all If me. Lee and I are in the same room, you're not going to have any trouble. <laughs> oh, I trust that. I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried. I was just thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking, Chase is sitting over here three days later, guys. No, this is, this is I've already slept twice and had three showers. Are you done yet? <laughs> no, I, could, I could do this all day, man. So this, is, this has been interesting. Because honestly, it makes me, and this is probably a testament to what you've said, it makes me want to go home and break out some of the venison and try so, to do something new. What's quick recipe for, for you know, trout is, is difficult. Now, I know what he did, but, but just for, you know, Chase and I go, and I'm doing a piece on catch-and-release trout. Well, let's say, let's say we got Finn's Lakes right now that yeah. are being stocked with stalker trout, right? Yeah. You can go out and catch five 15-inch trout, mm-hmm. and that's enough to make a meal for two. Yeah. And I've always done that in the oven, just baked. But it, is there something that I should try? You know, trout is not one of my favorite things. But I remember bear hunting years ago. I went, I went up to northern Ontario. And you'd go to these little gas stations. You'd look for a snack. Well, they didn't have the stuff that we have. But what I did notice, they had these little plastic containers of smoked trout. Hmm. Oh, man. Just peel that thing open and just, just go to town on it. My go-to for trout is smoking it. It's not a terribly complicated process. You just got a little brine that I use in TimFarmersCountryKitchen.com. Go look that up, Chase. Mm-hmm. My brine is simple. It's like soy sauce and, and mm-hmm. uh, some brown sugar. Um, uh, you put a little garlic in there. You can put some. Uh, you can put some um, lemon pepper mm-hmm. mm, and I've some different that. things, some sugar, and uh, mix that up. Now your now your typical brine, if you broke it down, um, salt to water is usually. It's on the website. Yes, Tim Farmer's Country Kitchen. It should be on there uh, on timfarmerscountrykitchen.com. On look under recipes, look under smoked fish. But your your go-to is two tablespoons of salt per four cups of water. So you can change that up any way kosher you want. Salt? It. Yes, kosher. I use kosher salt, and and uh, of course you've got 
um, your sweet versus your sour, and you can put a little Worcestershire, a little smoke flavoring. And then you pop that in the smoker, and what have you got? You've got you something special, and you put it in the fridge, it'll last a week, hmm. take it with you for a snack, and then just pop it out. That's my go-to on trout. Hmm. Hmm. Now, Raul would probably punch me in the face, but... but you know, I've always done the, the basic you know, lemon pepper butter, a little adobo yeah, seasoning, right. stick yeah. in the oven, and yeah. you know. And that's but all fine and good, but, but man, been, I've been on fishing trips with my buddy Smitty one time. He, uh, I didn't know, but he, he, he was like, Lee, I'll bet you a six pack of beer that I'll eat that fin. I was like, you won't eat that fin, that's nasty. <laughs> and he picked it up and ate the, the tail fin. Raw? No, no, after we cooked it. <laughs> oh, okay, but, I was going to say, hey, no. work the beer booze, right? <laughs> no, no, yeah, but I mean, I thought it was like, well, I wouldn't eat a fin raw. Oh, it actually tastes like a, a burnt potato, potato chip. chip. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't that bad. That's also. what we used to eat on the blue. He ended up me, after I ate one, he let me out of it. So <laughs> we ended up drinking it anyway. <laughs> but you know, cooking should be an adventure, and you should never settle and say, uh, I've got this recipe and it's good enough. Yeah. What are you missing out on? Is your deer stew recipe on the website? I'm going to have to find um, that for the magazine. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. But you know, and, and Nikki's dad was canning deer way back, and we did a show mm -hmm. on that back in like 2000, probably five. Mm-hmm. I remember we reran that. Her, her dad recently passed, and we had Wild Bill on canning his venison. You know, that's. Have you ever had canned venison? I've not. All you do is raw pack it. Mm -hmm. You can put a little salt and pepper in there. Put it in a pressure cooker. When you're done, it doesn't taste like venison. It tastes like beef. I don't know why. I don't know what happens in that little jar under pressure, but you come out with some fantastic stuff that you can dump out and make stroganoff immediately or whatever you want to. Do. You can eat it out of the can. It's delicious. It tastes like Denny Moore beef stew. Hmm. Hmm. Don't know why. I loved any hmm. beef stew. So. <laughs> pressure cook you, pressure cook, and uh, can you is, some deer. All you need is, um, I mean, that, you don't even need any special equipment for that, just the cans and... Pressure cooker. Hmm. Pressure cooker. And then you can get a Presto pressure cooker, you know, for X amount of dollars. Just follow the instructions. Hmm. And I, I don't want to tell you, but it, it's well over an hour. I, I don't want to give you the... Make sure you check exact times for the pint versus the quart mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Because meat... Yeah. You want to get you want to get it done right. You have the new pressure cooker. I remember you putting the little weights on the old school pressure cooker. Oh, I, I That's still what you those. still yeah. yeah still do you still it. use those? Oh or yeah. Have yeah. you converted over to the new? No, guy? I use the old old school. You know, you wait till that thing gets going. Now the, the most important thing with the pressure cooker is there's don't a, overweight. There's, right. a, there's a steam valve, and I think in Kentucky it's usually fit ten pounds. There's a steam valve. You look through that, make sure it's not clogged. Blow through it before you get started. You don't want your steam valve to get clogged. Or you can send it through the roof. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. hmm. So earlier you were talking about, what was the, the, when you were talking about the fish earlier, there was a sauce that you that you were asking if the recipe was on the website. What was it called? For the fish? Was, or for yeah. the, yeah, I can't remember, reds? Red currant jelly. Red currant jelly. No, that's, that's, that's for, for the deer venison, stick. and, and it, goes, it goes well with You with made like a stroganoff on that. How much, by the way, how much maple syrup did you get out of your tree tapping deal? You know, it takes roughly 30, 30 to 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup. Red currant jelly for venison. For mm -hmm. venison, duck, because um, I treat my duck, like I said, I treat it more like a steak. It's a red, you know, it's a red meat. And it Dude, should not. Stew, it's just so beyond belief. Do so. not overcook your duck. Make sure it's pink. Mm -hmm. So earlier you really quickly ran through a venison recipe. You said take the tenderloin, you know, medallion. medallion. I got him thinking, don't I? No, like you it. do. And I'm thinking right now, so. Cut, your, cut them, you know, about that thick. About an inch and a half. Or less. An inch to an inch and a half. Now, mm -hmm. now, if you want a medallion, no, I'm saying. Three quarters? Three quarters to a mm -hmm. half. Okay, three quarters to a half. Because you're, you're medallion. You don't, you don't want to okay. cook them through okay. too good. 
but you take basically some butter. Mm-hmm. Are you okay. using a cast iron or something like that? You can, yeah, you okay. can use cast iron. You could probably do this with Dove. We've done just You garlic. can do it with Dove. We've done it. We've sauteed in butter and garlic, exactly. and it's fabulous. Exactly. We put a plate of them out there, they disappear in five minutes. People want to people want to take these things and put cream cheese and jalapenos and, and you know everything in the world on them. Mm-hmm. Don't discount the actual taste of that particular item because it's absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. But the medallions, cut them fairly thin, mm-hmm. saute them in butter. Mm-hmm. Just quick on one side quick on the other side. Mm-hmm. Set them aside, keep them warm. Mm-hmm. Immediately in your pan, come back with, and I, you, you'd have to measure it out, but I'm saying at least three quarters of a cup of red wine. Then come back with two heaping tablespoons of red currant jelly. Red currant jelly. Then probably a half of a tablespoon of, and this is just easy. He, mm-hmm. had, he had some stuff from France, but just better than bouillon, the beef. Reduce that down. Mm-hmm. Reduce it down to, you gotta get a lot of nice bubbles. I mean, really bring the heat up, reduce it down by two thirds. Mm-hmm. Take that meat, lay it out, and drizzle that across there. You have got magic. Mm-hmm. It's not, you'll I never, that. That, that was the first thing that, that he opened the door to me on. Uh, I think I'm gonna, it sounds excellent. I'm gonna try that. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'll use tenderloin that I've already got in the freezer, or if I might go out and get some fresh stuff. So, medallions, saltan butter, keep warm. Then I roll three quarter and get down there for them. Three quarter of. Three quarter cup three of quarter red wine. Cup of red wine. Okay, it, just any particular like. I like the Pinot Noir. Yeah, and and Mayomi's a good. Yeah, is a good smooth. That is a good. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. And uh, reduce that down with two, maybe three heaping tablespoons. That gives that two sugar. Two heaping too. tablespoons of red currant jelly. Or more, and then come back with your half a tablespoon of um, of the uh, better than bouillon, bouillon beef. Reduce that down by two thirds. Now, you don't want it to be really runny, but you don't want to get it too, you know, you don't want it to absolutely caramelize on you. Yeah. And then drizzle that over your, over your medallions. And I'm telling you, 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 it'll blow your mind because what you're doing is, is bringing things into that venison mm-hmm. that accentuate it. Mm-hmm. Not you're not trying to knock out. the taste back. You're, you're doing things that, that enhance it. Let me ask you another question. Um, so you got frozen meat, and I think this goes for a lot of outdoorsmen who have meat in the freezer, right? Yeah. If you're gonna prepare that meat, do you have any special process to thawing it out or how you, you do that? No, I just set it in the sink and let it rip. Anything that you don't wanna to do to it? Like say <sighs> hot water, some people are not. I, I wouldn't do that because if you if you put hot water in, basically you're starting to cook yeah. Yeah. that meat and it can go bad on you. So I just leave it Sit it out on the counter. Sit on the counter. Put it in the sink. Whatever you want to do, you know when it's done. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, people are so. And I can't encourage anybody to to do anything or not. But when I buy tenderloin beef tenderloin at the store, mm-hmm. which has already been aged, mm-hmm. I'll intentionally get in there and cut two of them off. One for me and one for Nikki. Then I'll loosely wrap it and put it in the refrigerator for another seven to eight days before I get back in it. Mm-hmm. We're so squeamish about our meat. Mm-hmm. What if it sets out a little too long and starts getting a little different smell? That's not all bad. Mm-hmm. Now people are squeamish, people are scared. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I can't tell you to do this. You yeah. use your own. But in some, some parts of the world, they hang their meat in an open air market. Yes, yeah. but sometimes I let that deer start turning a little bit brown. I've let it sit there so long. That's me, mm-hmm. but it's still nice and red in the middle. And when you're doing your medallions, just, you know, you don't need to let those set, mm-hmm. but remember, Make sure that they're nice and rare. Yeah. 
or they're not worth eating. They'll get yeah. tough. Yeah, sure. If you right. let that stay right and just salt and That's pepper. a great recipe. That's, I'm going to try that. That's what I was asking. Can, be, can we use the magazine? Yes, you can. <laughs> sure. Give credit. I'm sure he doesn't care. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> you give credit to me, and I'll give credit to Raul. Huh? <laughs> See, go. he already took my, my currant jelly thing and forgot to Well, I mean, because of that recipe. Man, for a while, I could find red currant jelly. If you talk to farmer, ask him where you can find it. You know, you know what? People were asking for it around here because, I mean, that's, that's you know. I it really makes a difference. You talk about impact of people who start to figure things out. There's a man, one particular individual, who affected a whole population of fish down around Louisiana. Yeah. Oh, you, you actually yeah. just briefly started to mention this earlier, but we didn't get to it. Paul Listen, Prudhomme? Paul Prudhomme. He's my hero, man. He's got. Is he dead? He's dead. He just died. He's still he? dead. And the thing is, <laughs> he's he was a great guy by all accounts, and he lost all that weight, but he was sick at the end. He was yeah. Let's, well, I guess we shouldn't. We shouldn't. I, I want to hear how he affected these fish. Later. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 We probably I need used to, to watch that show. We probably need <laughs> to skip some of this Louisiana kitchen. But you know great. what? He was uh, he's doing the same thing I'm doing. He's a PBS chef, mm -hmm. same as Justin Wilson. So he's down here in Louisiana, and people are. It wasn't even. I don't even know if it was considered a sport fish back in the day. The red drum, the the red fish, mm -hmm. junk fish. Nobody ate them. Yeah. Paul Prudhomme comes up with his blackened seasoning, which is absolutely fantastic. Now I, I do a little variation of that, but he takes this red fish mm -hmm. and he does a recipe. And I think he had a restaurant where he would have blackened redfish. Guess what? Took off. Oh God. Guess what? They had to regulate these fish because everybody's eating the fire out of them mm -hmm. because he came up with a recipe that's that good. And it was the same thing in a in a, in he, a he, he launched the blackening craze. I mean I've yes. done blackened burger, blackened yes. catfish is great. He was the man. Just in a, in this tiny little area right here, people went out in great numbers and went to Kroger and asked them to carry red currant jelly. Mm -hmm. A lot of people went mm -hmm. to the store so they started carrying it. Now that was back when we were doing stuff on there, and I haven't done that many venison recipes. But ask when you go to Kroger, say, "Hey, I need this," because they still make it, and and a lot of the jams and jellies that you're seeing, it's from those producers. Mm -hmm. Those same people are producing it, but you got to ask for it. So you found it at Whole Foods in Lexus. I did, and I bought every one of them. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just they were punished. <laughs> yeah. If I, I see it, I'm because you got to get it because it's been hard to find. Get now. it when you can see it. So I don't, what day was it, Lee, when I ran into you up, upstairs? It was before Thanksgiving. Because mm -hmm. you said, you know what, it'd be great at Farm Run. Mm -hmm. Talk about a recipe people could try, a wild game recipe mm -hmm. for the holidays. And we missed Thanksgiving, unfortunately, but mm -hmm. Christmas is still coming up. Mm -hmm. So I say, before we call it quits, we, we get at least one or two recipes that you think would be good. Maybe to feed, Holiday time, may, yeah. maybe to feed more than one or two people. Maybe to feed, uh, I guess you got to have the game to do it, too. Mm -hmm. So Now, uh, that's... You know, that's a hard one. If you've got some fish, if you've got some striper in a freezer, mm -hmm. man, take that striper out. Gosh, there's so many. Yeah. You want well, to Your easy, website would probably be a good reference. It too. would. TimFarmersCountryKitchen.com. Yeah. There, there are two on there that I'll reference. One of them was an old Greek lady. It was a rosemary, um, red wine vinegar, fish. So many. So many of these are similar. So here's, here's a quick and easy, if you've got a firm flesh fish such as a striper. This is so easy, it's pitiful. You take a little bit of flour, put salt and pepper in it, and just turn it over in the flour. Get you some hot grease, sear mm. that fish, striper, in your flour, salt and pepper, each side till it's brown. Mm -hmm. 
don't overdo it, don't underdo it. Make sure it's, you'll know when it's golden brown, set it aside. What do you do? This is so simple. Come back with some red wine vinegar, deglaze, all right? And quite a bit, and, and reduce that in with your little pieces of flour and things. It's, it's gonna thicken up just a hair. Then take you some rosemary. When that really starts to reduce down, take you some rosemary, pop in there, fresh, and let that let those leaves cook down, that flavor, that red wine vinegar, and this is where you can get by on the cheap. The red wine vinegar, which gives it that tang, and the rosemary, that, that combines, and you pour that over your fish. Oh my God, so simple, but so delicious. And if you can't, you know, if you don't have any striper, go to the store and get you some sea bass or whatever. Snapper. You had a striper aioli recipe you did for them. Is that you that you did for the magazine? I did an aioli. Did you teach Sloan how to cook that? Yeah, that was a long time yeah, ago. I, I, I think I was using tapenade in it at the time, mm -hmm. an olive deal. Let me tell you one more. Yeah. This this is, and I don't have the specifics, but on timfarmercountrykitchen.com, if you've got some striper and you want to impress a group of folks, mm -hmm. I mean, talking about restaurant quality stuff, same thing. Flour, salt and pepper. Roll mm -hmm. it in there. Sear it, boom, boom, mm -hmm. golden brown. Set it aside, rather quickly come back with some shallots like we talked about. Get your shallots and your butter, get it going, and uh, then come back with deglaze with white wine. Chardonnay is good in this recipe. Then you'll take some lemon, the a half of a lemon, the juice from half a lemon. Get that going, then start doing some butter in there. Take you some pats of butter, probably better part of a stick of butter. That's rich, mm -hmm. but it's good. Take that and melt that Unsalted in Unsalted or salted? Salted. Salt's good for you, you know. <laughs> then take him, you might at the, at the very end put a little heavy whipping cream, just a little bit in there, and then put some capers in there to give it then a little more mm -hmm. salt. Hopefully you're done. Briny almost for you. Oh, just a few, not just for, uh, just to, you know, just for that little bit of taste. Yeah. Pour that over your fish. Garnish with a couple tomatoes. If you want, dice some tomatoes real small. I mean, it's what what you're going to have there is if you went to the Bonefish Grill and said, "Hey, I want the lemon garlic sauce," mm -hmm. you're going to have something like that, but it's going to be better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. sounds good. Now, I already gave you a venison recipe. Mm -hmm. That those two things right there ought to get you through the holidays. I'm going to so, go home and eat. <laughs> Let me Listen, do. it's an adventure. And, wow. and, and, and when, you try, when you try one of these things, you say, why didn't I do this before? Mm -hmm. But then that gets you thinking, oh, my goodness. I went out west and shot some pheasant. What can I do with that? Mm -hmm. yeah. Doors wide open. I did. good. Oh, pheasant's delicious. Those pheasant nuts were fun. We didn't do it this year. I regret it. They're fun. Yeah. I think one of the best things you hit on in the past, let's see, what's it been, an hour and ten minutes or so, mm -hmm. is, is how... The other cultures appreciate the meat so yes. much more because that is kind of shocking. If you, and see, you how, see it, yeah, your typical—I don't want to say typical—people underappreciate it so much here. They shoot a deer, and it's more about the hunt, and then they have the meat. What are they going to do with it? But the other people really cherishing it. And you talking about the price of a striper is ridiculous. Think about I mean, that. That's you go to a restaurant on the East Coast, and we just did again. We did a, a foodie trip on the East Coast, went way up the East Coast, then went out to the West Coast. And by the way, I got all 50 states in now. I've done every, all 50 states. I've eaten in every <laughs> every state in the union. So you get that on the menu, and it's pricey. Mm -hmm. Get you some striper in New York and see what it costs you. And they'll, they'll make it with the lemon butter sauce generally, like I've told you about. But yeah, underappreciated. You know, every time that I see see folks, you know, this this problem we have with this Asian carp. Remember, Chef Barola said the same thing. He's like, you're... you're 
Your fish is so beautiful, it's so clean, yes. it's so delicious, yes. you know. and it is. You know, he that, called a silver fan, remember? He called silver carp silver I fan. I think we still call that, don't we? Yeah, Something. and you have it. so many people who automatically, ooh, yuck, it's a carp. No, no, yeah. until you try it. Yeah. I, I, it. Silver carp is actually great. It's the, delicious. The off of it is fantastic. It's delicious, and so many people have limited themselves to this <laughs> tiny little thing, little, little world. I mean, this, this, this. It's weird how there's a stigma about certain things. Yeah. Well, if it has carp attached to it, you know, it's junk. Mm -hmm. well, but that, okay. Well, what am I thinking? Like, my girlfriend likes to catch snakes and salamanders, do all this stuff that most women don't do. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole idea is that nobody ever told her that's that's gross or that's nasty exactly. when she was a little kid. So mm -hmm. she didn't grow up thinking it, you know? Well, the same thing applies to us, even though we've been outdoorsmen for, you know, I'm, I'm just going to use myself, 20 something years. I've always had the stigma in my well, head. Well, we've only Carpet. been 11, because remember, I'm 26. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we don't know all this stuff. We're, we're short timers, you know. Oh. But you get this stigma in your head, because I, I hear somebody else say, oh, carbs, junk fish. And then it's in my head, carbs, junk fish. Try one smoked. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's really, you just need to quit listening to everybody else's opinion and develop your own. Mm -hmm. I went to a, I think I was in Hawaii. I went to a, an Asian restaurant, and they had these little carp. Looked like goldfish, hmm. and they had simply deep fried them, and I don't know what kind of spices they had. Almost like there's a little curry something going on there, and you had to pick them off the bone. The whole fish was sitting there. I thought this looks so gross that I have to try it. It's some of the best fish I've ever eaten <laughs> in my life. Now you had to pick around the bones. I don't know what mm -hmm. they put on it, but if I could reproduce that, it was a, it was it looked like. See, Granddaddy went fillet bluegill because you wasted too much meat. He oh, would yeah. always scrape it off the bone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, and people, like you said earlier, you kept that largemouth to eat. A lot of people, you hear so many people say, oh, the largemouth don't taste good. <laughs> I bet, I bet now you let me do. tell you I what. I still think the yeah. spotted bass is the best of the bite. The they are. They are. And any other legal, any size is mm -hmm. legal on that. The thing about a, a largemouth bass is I, I don't, I mean, I like them around, you know, 15 inches. Mm -hmm. any, if they're legal, less. Anything over that. And now when you get, who wants to, I don't want to eat a five-pound bass. Mm -hmm. I really don't because they're a little strong and muddy. My granddad loved them, though. He liked that flavor. Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. I love bluegill. I love shellcracker. Mm -hmm. I love crappie. But think about all the farm ponds that need a bunch of 13-inch bass taken yeah. out of them. Mm -hmm. You'd be doing the pond a favor to take that bass out yeah. and yourself a favor at the same time. <laughs> you know, there's so many people who, who are into this tournament mentality. There's nothing wrong with that. But I remember one time I was cleaning fish down in western Kentucky, and it was a smallmouth bass that I had caught in my popper had gone up behind the gill and I killed the fish. Normally I wouldn't kill it. And I remember they were fishing a tournament down there and I was out, out of camp cleaning that fish. Did I get a cussing? Oh, come on. Oh, yeah, so I did it, I did it real slow and held it up and said, yeah, I'm going to eat every bite of it. <laughs> but you know what, I don't, I don't, I don't eat smallmouth just because, just because the resource. I mean, come on. That, yeah. that fish, is, the, the fish to me is just like, so that's, you it'd know, be like shooting a, a, a spotted leopard or something. When, um, <laughs> We did that one on Green River that we just slayed them. Still, yeah. people still say it's one of their favorite segments. That's my favorite segment. We yeah. Were That's the day you dropped your phone, remember? Yes, <laughs> I do remember. I lost so many people's numbers. <laughs> I got some of them back. We were in a riffle. And, and I didn't ring. Yeah, no, no, it, it just one of those deals. I think it, you bumped your arm or something. Wow. Uh, he looked at me like, did that really happen? <laughs> I think I grabbed it for you, didn't you? Yeah, I think and I tried to punch something in. All these, all these numerals were coming up. I'm like, what? It looks like Egyptian hieroglyphics coming up. <laughs> you caught a beauty that day on a popper. Oh, you remember? Yeah. You know what? That's another thing. I don't. I almost don't want to say it. 
But that's an underutilized way to fish, man. No, I have, and you've proper? seen it. You've oh, yeah. seen it, and like just a fly a plain rod. Old, <laughs> yes, I, I've got more into it. Just a plain old bets. Oh, I, I used you a source on that one I did on. Remember we were talking about yep. just the plain old bets, dollar eighty nine at Walmart, medium sized popper. I know? made some people mad who were tournament fishermen fishing with them in their boat, out fishing them, catching five and six pound smallmouth on a good sized popper. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It works. Oh, I know. Smallmouth, they like that. First of all, it's a bug. And that rubber legs, too, I think. The rubber legs. And they don't have to waste much energy to smoke that. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a potato chip for them. Yeah. So they don't have, all I got to do is go up and suck it off the top. And a lot of times the bite is just, it's yeah. just that. Sometimes when you set the hook, you think, ah, oh, it's a bluegill. Mm -hmm. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. I mean, they've done that to me with doing a jitterbug in the creek. A lot of people don't do that. Oh. They'll just come on you to say, like that, and you just feel weight. Yeah. Like, oh, good, it's a big one. What's going on? <laughs> but I've had some. I've seen you have some violent strikes on it too. Oh, they've just yeah, they'll just to destroy, destroy it. it. I think they're playing. They yeah. know it's not a challenge. They're just going to be like, bam. I was going to show you this picture. You were talking about liking the poppers, and I knew you did because uh, when I first started here, I was going through the old barn over there, and I found a bunch of your poppers. Hey, I wonder <laughs> where those were. Nice, nice bluegill. I caught them all oh, right man, there. you got to love a bluegill. Yeah, that's on one of your poppers. I appreciate you leaving. <laughs> There's nothing night. I'd rather catch in the world. In all seriousness, yeah. when it's when it's right and you can get them hand size or bigger, yeah. I can do it all day those long. Those big bullheaded bluegills. Oh, yeah. yeah. They get that, that one's hump on their head. Oh, it is ugly. It's so ugly you want to catch them all. No, but I, I lived on a farm out here in Shelby County. I had a farm, a 1.7 acre farm pond, I mean, 100 yards from the house. Walk over there with that fly rod and that popper, and I mean, it was every cast. Oh. It was it was a blast. The Harrington Lake's a real good one for that too, and the sponge spider just fishing along those cuts and those walls. Yep. You wouldn't think that's good bluegill. Yep. Oh, they'll come up. All I just wish day they, long. I just wish they had some little bigger bluegill out there. Yeah, no. You know, usually you catch them They're six all, seven yeah. inches. Yeah, you don't get those big yeah. farm pond. I wish we had more Stump lakes managed. They used to manage. Kerry used to try to manage for some you know things like that. Well, they're, they're doing that at Beaver. David Baker and Fisheries. I've been, I've been catching some good ones. I had a good year beaver this year. We manage this as a quality uh, sunfish lake. That's what we want. When you get a big, when you get a big uh, red ear, oh my pocket. god! Oh, and yeah. they will hit the top sometimes. Mm -hmm. When you do, I got a, I got a thirteen inch out there this year. At Beaver? Yes. Wow. Shh, I didn't say that. Well, I, I, had, I did a piece with him earlier. You did on about number size, great numbers, moderate, but like great size mm -hmm. out there. It may not have been 13. I may be exaggerating, but it was up there. I've got pictures of you and Rick, I think, catching some big ones out there one time. Some of the best rudder we've ever, or I've ever caught was with one of your old buddies, Jim Jim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Down there. Now, that's nine inches. So, yeah, he was, he was, he was getting close to foot. I mm. tend to over-exaggerate. I'm a fisherman. Those you know. things fight so I hard, I think too. everybody does. Yeah, they do. They, yeah. Oh, but on an ultra, thick, like, I can't thick, land him. I don't think I'm going to land him. Yeah. A ball. Yeah, Jim Doom, I, I saw a video, actually, of course, this was on the show. Somebody can look this up on YouTube if they want. Uh, that big head you caught with Jim Doom, I think you guys oh, were crappie yeah. fishing or something yeah. like that. That was ridiculous. That was like an 80-pound fish. And a lot of people <laughs> you know, made, you know, those little bugs he makes. You can buy them now, but he was one of the first to, with the little, you run the rubber legs through the plastic grub with the weighted head. Yep. That's that's the, you can buy them all over the place yeah. now. I think he was one of the ones who popularized making your own. Yeah. Remember? Who's yeah. that? Jim yeah. I shot some big old fish with a bow down there. I mean, some fish. I had, I, it was probably a 50, 60 pound fish. No, it was a 70 pound fish we shot that I had a picture of. But I got a hold of one I couldn't do anything with. Man, he stayed on there and stayed on. He wore me out. Mm -hmm. And when I finally got him up to where I could see him, he blew my mind. Yeah. And he did one last rush and got off Snap. there. I think you guys were fishing light line. I mean, you were crappie fishing, if I remember right. Well, I was talking bow fishing there. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, I, did you all net the big one? 
Oh, we got a big one. Yeah, went with a rod and reel. Oh there yeah, was, we, there yeah. was one you got. Yeah, yeah, we got one in. I, was, I think it was eighty something pounds. Hmm. They'll eat a bait. Yeah, well, if they don't eat it on purpose, they'll suck it in. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter if it's in the mouth. It's in the mouth. <laughs> it's in the mouth. No doubt. Yeah. No That's doubt. Wild. Guys, we've been going for an hour twenty something. It's been a good one though. So, are you a sports fan, Tim? Um, I, you know, I watch Kentucky, mm -hmm. and I, as I as I hopefully, well, it's not really working out real well. I was hoping I'd have more time when I semi-retired. Mm -hmm. I just don't have time to watch too much, but I, I'm a Kentucky fan. Yeah, well, I, I look at box scores and I watch some games, but we typically end the podcast with like two minutes on sports. Um, so of Wolf only, to, well, actually, I'll say Louisville's number one now. They got Michigan State tonight. Okay, mm -hmm. that'll be interesting. But I did go to the game on Saturday. I sat out there through the rain and through all that to watch Kentucky absolutely demolish Louisville, <laughs> which made it well worthwhile for me. <laughs> I think I paid for it yesterday, man. I left work early for the first time in my life yesterday. Just wasn't feeling it, went home, rested up the whole day. And I feel feel great today, but it was well worth it to watch yeah, that. But it was some brutal conditions, but oh, it was one of the most fun games to watch. If you're, if you're a Kentucky fan, it was a fun game to watch. I feel bad for the... Louisville fans kind of. Well, we've, just, yeah, <laughs> we've had a lot of adversity this year, and now I think we're peaking. You know, we're playing our best ball of the year by far. Yeah. I will say that, you know, it was a three-and-a-half-point game or something like that in Vegas. That's what the books had it at. And I thought it was going to be a close game, and then it was a blowout. And after the fact, I was looking back, and I was thinking, well, I should have seen it coming. Because the biggest weakness for Louisville was run defense, and the biggest advantage for Kentucky was run offense. Like one team's strength and the other team's weakness just completely went against each other. Mm -hmm. And other than that, all teams were pretty. I should have. I felt like and the I weather seen conditions it. really favored Kentucky yeah. to attack. It's hey, hard I, to pass in pouring rain. I got tickets to the Kentucky Louisville game. The next Do you one, really? basketball. That'd be good. I hope. I hope. You know, it doesn't really matter if Louisville wins or loses tonight because they're playing a number four team. So even if they lose, they're not going to drop real far. What about some of these teams? That you never would think. I mean, Evansville. What has happened to some of these? I mean, look at Duke got beat. What is going on? Is there's so many good programs now, yeah. man? And yeah. I think again, a lot of it is those teams have had guys who are seniors who have played together mm -hmm. three and four years, and like the old days, they're cohesive. They know mm -hmm. each other, and uh, they're mature. You know, at Evansville team, they knew exactly what to do. That was they were well coached. They were rotated on. They drove the ball and mm -hmm. scored. They were well coached. Yeah, yeah. I mean, coach, they just yeah. all Kentucky. He admitted guy. he got out coached on that one. Yeah, he did say that in the post game. He which, did. You know, I guess if if you do, you do. But so yeah, how are they going to end up? How's Kentucky, Kentucky basketball going? I'll tell you what. This year, usually there's a clear favorite. There's a team that you say, well, they're just better than everybody else. And last year it was Duke, and that didn't work out for them. Mm -hmm. But this year, I mean, there could be eight or ten teams yeah. that are the best. I think team. they'll be good by the time it's all said. That's what I was going to. You have tickets to the U of L UK basketball game. You can't have them. Oh, I, don't. I love you and everything that you can do. <laughs> well, what I was going to say, I hope that Kentucky wins out, and I was going to say I hope Louisville wins out. It doesn't really matter if they win or lose tonight. It'd be really fun if that was a one versus three matchup or a two mm -hmm. versus three. You know, so really, because typically if those schools get together. You know, there might have been one year, 2013 or 2012, where they were both really highly ranked. But typically, one team has a clear advantage, right? Mm -hmm. But if they were both just right there, when is Nick Richards going to figure out? What he's got, he's, how talented he's played well the past few games. He has. He's starting to come but on. But when he when he gets the confidence, yeah. when you see it in his eyes, mm -hmm. it's going to be unstoppable. I know. I think I know we'll it. I think we'll round out well. Of course, we lost Sestina. He might be back for the Louisville game you're going to, but 
I think how, I think how, how long is he out? Four weeks. Four weeks. Ooh. Broke his, but non-shooting wrist, but still broke. It still his puts wrist. him up right. I mean, he's like projected to come back the week of the Louisville game. So you never know how that's going to go. Coach speak. He might be out until March. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Who knows? But uh, I think we pretty. Do you have anything you want to add, Tim? I, we got we got the reference to the website. Your website, I think, is a really good one. Because that's something I'm, I hadn't used to Tim this Farmer's point. Country Kitchen.com. We're yeah. on Saturday nights at 7 o'clock. You're yeah. getting ready to watch Kentucky Field. Yeah. You're already sitting there. Just get mm-hmm. some popcorn and some yeah. beer and whatever and, and go to town. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing is, is with our show, is that I try to uh, really concentrate on if you got a grandfather, if you got a father, mm-hmm. if you got an old timer, sit down with them and share. Mm-hmm. Their knowledge. There's so much information to be gained out there. All these old timers that I've talked with have given me so much. Mm-hmm. Have given me so much. It's such a blessing. Go find the oldest person you know and sit down and talk with them. And and, and if if they know, I love to. Yeah, yeah. that's that's where it's at. That's and where it's at. They love it. Yes, they they absolutely love you it. You know, they, they're ignored in today's world. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's everybody's looking for the the youngsters and everybody's looking for that demographic. My. Gosh, the knowledge that is out there that we walk right past every day. I don't walk past it. I look for the oldest cat in the in the room, and and I and I go try to. Get I love something hearing on. those old ways. Yeah. Pre, you know, pre-industrial kind of ways. Oh that, yeah. You know, Kentucky yeah. is one of the last states to have these these ancient ways that are still vibrant. You know. You know, these cats were out there that I, that I was talking with and hunting with back in the day when I was when I was a kid. These guys had been through the depression. Yeah. They knew hard times. I've got some story from from Dexter. His dad would send him out with like two twenty two rounds. He'd say, "Come back with something. Don't waste <laughs> it. Don't waste there. with that shell." Mm-hmm. And they talk about groundhogs. And you hear people say, "Oh, that sounds so gross." I've never heard a hungry person, a really hungry person, mm-hmm. say, "Ooh, that's nasty." Mm-hmm. Uh, by golly, if there's a groundhog in front of them, they're starving. Like squirrel and squirrel brain. Do you ever hear people eating squirrel brain? Oh brains? yeah, crack the top of the head with a spoon, mm-hmm. break it. My grandma, this is some, what I, well, first of all, my grandparents are my favorite people in the world. I've always said that. But my grandma, when she was born, some people tell her she's only worth a, a chicken and a sack of potatoes because that's what they gave the doctor to come and deliver. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but, See that kind of stuff right yeah, there? But her dad, or she was born, and her dad was in his early 70s. And he was born in 1860-something, wow. like 1865. And of course, it never worked out time-wise. But I like hearing stories about about him because yeah. obviously he lived until where he was somewhere up in his upper 80s when my grandpa asked if he could marry his daughter, and my grandpa says that to this day is the scariest moment of his life because of how you know that guy was just you think of old timers these days. Well, he was an old timer of the old timers, yeah. and he was a different kind of a different kind of tough. And uh, those are some. That's of my a good. Stories. That's a good way to say it. A different kind of tough. Yeah. These old cats that I went out who worked the mines, you know, and I'm just in awe of them. Yeah. They didn't know that I worshipped them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, uh, my worship was well placed. These these guys had really seen some tough times, and you know, they had recipes for groundhog and things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just we're 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 walking right past the most valuable resource in the world. When Nikki's dead, when I started to see dementia way back. I wanted to sit him down and start talking to him and gather those stories. And one of, one of the stories was he was talking about the ice truck. I thought he was talking about, as a kid, I think he was talking about the ice cream truck. No, he's talking about the ice the truck. truck. Yeah. The ice truck that would come with pre-cut chunks of ice. They knew what size your ice box was. Mm-hmm. They would take these tongs 
and bring your piece of ice out and set in the ice box. Have you ever heard anybody call, call oh, a refrigerator yeah. an ice box? Yeah, I've heard that before, yeah. So they set this piece of ice in their ice box, and the kids would follow the truck around to try to get a little scrape of ice as a treat. Hmm. Granddad used to take uh, tomatoes and, and sell them at Austin Packing Company. This is in southern Indiana. And they'd give you a bottle of ketchup, and he'd drink it on the way home. Walk it off. That's sugar, man. That's early pop. Gross. Like, that. gross. But you know, they didn't have candy bar stuff like that. I mean, yeah. fruits to them, like watermelon or yeah. cantaloupe, anything like that, was like that was their candy. You know. Well, guys, it's been fun. But if I don't get out here, my wife's gonna shoot me. Hey, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. It was fun. Good, good seeing you again, as always, dude. Let's get out and fish. All right, man. Thank you, Tim. Give me my poppers back. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big, big. Hey, they're somewhere. I'm just kidding. Appreciate it, guys. Uh -huh.